Well, good morning, everybody, and Lord bless you. God, I don't have my mic. I have the blue mic. Test, test, test. Am I there? Do I hear buzz? No. Okay. Um, this morning, I'd like to introduce to you someone who's not a stranger to our congregation. Uh, his name is Al Potty. He is a former Wahhabi Muslim. Is that correct? Okay. What did he say? Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, sir. Please forgive me. Uh, he is the founder of the Center for Islamic Research and Awareness. It's focused on Christian-Muslim relations by bringing awareness to the Western community concerning issues related to Islam, radical Islam, terrorism, and training and equipping the Western community leaders on effective bridges building connection with the Muslim community. Um, he is the host of a popular radio show called Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with Al-Fadi. He also hosts numerous Arabic and English satellite TV programs that air in the Middle East. And he has been a frequent guest on many media outlets, including Fox News. So would you please join with me in welcoming Mr. Al Thanks, Pastor Dennis. This is the part that I hate the most about myself, actually, whenever they start reading my bio. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, I think it's been uh, over a year ago or a year and a half ago when I was here, and um, nothing has changed. You guys are still here, praise the Lord. They added the color yellow outside, which matches Arizona State, which I'm proud of, you know, so that's good. I see that you guys converted to become an ASU fan. Um, I know we are, uh, you know, dealing with unusual times right now. And uh, my understanding that uh, you are making your way back. I know my church uh, today will be the first time that they will even have real congregation in the house. So every place and every state and every city and every church and uh, everyone is going through a phased plan. But one must ask this question, what shall we do in the midst of all of this as a church, as believers, as the body of Christ? You see, God is not surprised. He's not sitting around and saying, man, I did not factor COVID-19 in my plan at all. I have no idea how this slipped through my hands. No, nothing surprised him. In fact, you know, you go to the Bible and the Psalm says that even pandemics like this will not befall you, will not touch you. And you know what I tell myself, and so what if it does touch me? I know where I'm going, but there are those that do not know where they're going. And if you want a perfect time to evangelize to people, right now is that time because everyone is in a panic mode and they're willing to listen to anything that will give them hope that's the attitude that we ought to have and that's the perspective that the bible teaches so i'm going to walk you through some principles in a time you know that we have and i will back it up with scripture and my prayer is that you will prayerfully consider all, some, whatever you feel your calling is to apply these principles in terms of how we ought act, how we ought react, and how we ought also engage with others. For instance, Proverbs 11.14 says, where there is no guidance, a people falls but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And you know, folks, we're dealing with a time of information, but I like to call it misinformation. And it's so easy to just say something and you have a couple of hundreds like it and another couple of hundreds share it and all of a sudden whatever you said is reaching the masses now. As believers, 
we ought to always examine the information that we receive and we ought to always consult with others, godly people to understand, is this real? Is this what you know? Let's go to the source. Is it a, a government etiquette? Is it a decree by the governor? Is it something that the president says? Is it something that the Department of Homeland Security issued? Is it the Health and Service Administration? I mean, we have to really ask ourselves these questions. And I remember the other day, I, I went to, I'm not gonna name the store, uh, at least they think I'm picking on them, but they have a, um, you know, basically a setup where you can order things online, but you go and you have to wait in line and you cannot really enter the store to pick it up. And I went there and I wanted to know where to park. And I rolled down my window and the person told me because of CDC requirements, you know, you have to go and park over there and you have to maintain the distances and to park where the sign says no parking. I said, okay. And I did that. And then I went back the couple of days later, uh, you know, to pick up another thing that they didn't have that day. And they kept telling me the same thing, CDC requirements, CDC requirement. I said to myself, let me ask a question. I want to test if these people even know what CDC is. So I said, what is CDC? And they looked, hey, John, do you know what CDC is? <laughs> no. And John asked, hey, Patrick, do you know what CDC is? I said to myself, it is so easy to manipulate this, you know, group by just saying anything. It was obvious to me that they're just repeating things. My hope is that we as believers don't fall into this trap of just repeating what others would say. Jesus told the Pharisees, search the scriptures. And he was telling people, you've heard it says, but I tell you. We have responsibility, yes, even in the midst of pandemic, to verify. I love what Reagan says, right? You know, trust and verify. I guess it's biblical. You have to verify, especially in matters that impact people's life. It's our responsibility. Philippians 4.8, I love what the Apostle Paul says from prison. He says, finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Can everybody hear me, by the way? Just want to make sure. Yeah. So one principle is the idea that we have to stay informed and we need to also spread the truth, not falsehood. Here's another principle that we can really learn or a perspective that we can apply in the midst of a condition that we're dealing with. We must not surrender to fear, folks. We, as believers, as the body of Christ, ought to be at the top of that courage chain. You know why? Because if we keep preaching Christ, and all of a sudden people see you in a panic mode, I'm not really so sure what is it that we can offer them. We're just acting like the rest of the world. The world is in panic mode. We are in a panic mode. So what's the difference? We ought not to let fear enter our life and our heart. Now that doesn't mean we have to be careless. That doesn't mean we have to ignore rules and regulations. That doesn't mean we have to be disobedient. No, but we ought to behave in a very measured way. Why? Because we follow a living God, a God who will shelter and protect his own, a God who went all the way to the cross to protect us from judgment if we were to follow him and believe in what he has done for us. You think this pandemic is going to be a huge obstacle for him so our behavior in the midst of these kind of trials could draw attention because when people are in panic mode they're jumping up and down and they notice few people walking calmly smiling guess what they are going to come to you and say what in the world is going on with you 
Why are you behaving this way? Just think of it this way. Imagine, indeed, you're outside and everybody is running and you're just walking. Don't you think someone is going to come and ask you, why aren't you running like the rest of us? We have to be basically in a measured approach. Isaiah 41.10 says, so do not fear. This is the Lord speaking, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And I love, uh, you know, what the Spirit, uh, the uh, Holy Spirit told us also about the type of spirit that we have in us as believers. 1 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of courage, power. You know, I tell people, if you want spiritual steroid, that's the verse to go to. Because you will be so strong in the midst of turmoil. But if we are afraid, like the rest of the world, which, by the way, they have every right to be afraid. I'm not saying you shouldn't at least be concerned. The behavior itself that we ought to exhibit should always be different. And, of course, the Word of God is where we ought to go and learn these things. Our Lord told Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what protects you, that's what gives you life, and that's indeed what gives you eternal life. Amen. Oh, somebody didn't like what I said. No problem. <laughs> Another principle, placing the interest of others ahead of yourself. Uh-oh, that's a big one, right? Oh, this one uh, went out. I can have a handheld, by the way, yeah. if it is easier, yeah. So let's uh, take a 30 second break. <clears throat> Thank you. We need to consider the welfare of others, by the way. And that includes whether believers or non believers. We should be the one who are watching after the affairs of those that need to be protected. Yes, in the midst of these things, the church has to model rules and ways to protect those who are at a vulnerable stage. It is okay. We shouldn't, at least at church members, which by the way, I say this because I hear it sometimes, oh, why are we doing these rules? Why are we separating? Why are we having these uh, regulations? Why can I come in the usual way? We need to consider the safety of others. And if we go to stores and the store have new rules now and how you stand in line, it's okay. We have to respect these rules and we have to allow others to be ahead of ourselves. This is biblical. This is not just me telling you this. That's what the Bible teaches. In Romans 12, 15, for instance, Paul talking to the church, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We ought to be in solidarity with others. But the other passage also in Philippians 2 is an amazing passage. Philippians 2, by the way, starting from verse 1 all the way to verse 11, talking about humility. And Paul used our Lord as the model for humility. But leading into that, this is how he entered this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. You know what? This is difficult. I know it. This is very hard for us to allow others always to be ahead of us. Especially when two months ago we were standing in line to buy toilet papers, for God's sake. <laughs> because if you let someone ahead of you, they're going to get that, basically, uh, last set of rolls. But you know what? That's what the Bible expects us to do. That's how the Bible expects us to behave. And I've seen it with my own eyes. A couple of people stepped aside and allowed someone else to get ahead of them. You think that person didn't appreciate what happened? Of course they did. 
And I hope and pray that those people who did that know the Lord and they did it out of love for them. But I was looking at these lines. I mean, I had to wake up at four in the morning to go and stand in line to buy toilet papers. And I'm asking myself, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> and if I didn't go, I'm gonna face the wrath of my wife. <laughs> so it's either way I am in trouble. And it's just an unfortunate situation, but you know what? We've learned a lot from this. Really, the biggest lesson that I feel I've learned is trusting that God will provide. And trusting also that people, hopefully, will need to seek a source of hope in the midst of this fear that they're going through. And I've seen lines where people are having conversations and talking about issues like this. You see, God works in mysterious ways. Our job is to act and behave in obedience, but we must have this principle. Whether we're dealing with believers or non-believers, we must allow others to always be ahead of ourselves. That's what the Word of God expects us to do. And that leads me to the next one. Buying what we need. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you feel like you cannot go outside for two weeks or three weeks or one month, as in some states, by the way, it's okay to go and buy enough to cover you for that period of time. But I'm talking about do not hoard things that others can use. I mean, one of the disturbing images that I've seen, at least at the beginning of all of this, when someone opened his garage door and had piles of toilet papers for sale. <laughs> This is using people now at the time of trouble. This is abusing the liberty that we have and the freedom that we have. I sure hope that person didn't know the Lord because that's a bad testimony. And that applies to us too. Yes, if you go to place and find things that you feel like I didn't find them before, just try to get what you need because someone else might need also the same thing. We need to just show confidence and trust that the Lord will provide. He will furnish our needs on a daily basis. He told us this. He told us this. It's not like I am inventing it. He says, give us each day our daily bread. On the account of Luke. In Matthew, give us this day our daily bread. If he gives you this day your daily bread, that means you've trusted that just as he did yesterday, he's given it to you today, and guess what's going to happen tomorrow? He'll do the exact same thing again. That's what the Lord reminded the Israelites. He says, you know what? You were in the wilderness, and you received manna on a daily basis. You think they appreciated having manna on a daily basis? No. They didn't want to be free and have manna. They wanted to go to slavery and have rice and onion and other things. That's how man thinks, by the way. Man likes to go back to slavery so they can have desserts. But they don't want to be free and have what the Lord is furnishing to them. For 40 years, they did not go to bed hungry. Do you think they appreciated what the Lord has done for them? Sadly, just like the rest of us, we're just human. We let the flesh get in the way, and we want things our way, not God's way. He says, I'll give you every day your daily bread. Every day I'm going to give you that. I promise you that you will have your daily bread. And we are like, could I have, please, uh, French bread with uh, some chicken? That's what I want today. And you're not going to get French bread with chicken. You may get turkey. That's okay. Turkey bacon, which is amazing. I mean, you may get something, but you may not get what exactly you expected to get. So what? Can I claim that I didn't get my daily need? Of course not. You know, in the last two months, I have to admit to you, did I panic at the beginning? Of course I did. I'm just like anyone else. Did I start to get these, uh, you know, waves of thoughts about what's going to happen to me and my family? Of course I did. 
And within a week, I felt the Lord like carrying two by eight and smacking me on the head and saying, which part of the last 10 years haven't you yet gotten? Did you ever go hungry in the last 10 years when I called you to ministry full time? I'm like, no, Lord. Did you ever lack this or this? No, Lord. So what are you afraid about? I mean, sometimes I have to remind myself, if I'm going to be preaching this to people, I better be a model also in front of them. But we're human. We're human. We get it. That's why we have the Holy Spirit in us, to remind us of the goodness of God, to keep our eyes focused on Him. I'm just confessing this to you to tell you that no one is going to act in a perfect manner. But you know what? When we remind ourselves from the Word of God that we are guided by Him, we can bring ourselves back to reality. And that's what the Word of God teaches, that we ought to live a day by day, and we ought to appreciate what God has done for the church for the last 2,000 years, for His people for thousands of years. After all, the Lord was laughing at the Sadducees when they were talking about if somebody died and went to heaven and they're going to get married, and He's like, you know, the God that we worship is a God who is the God of the living. There is no such thing as dead people. No such thing is the God of the living. Living here on earth and live in eternity with him. This is the one that we serve. And living, meaning he's providing for you life. That's what we worry about usually. Am I going to live through all of this? Yes, you will. You're going to be just fine. What if I die? If you know him, you're alive more than ever before. Okay? No excuses. Now, we need to focus on those that do not have that living hope, our Lord. And that's what the Bible teaches. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will provide or will supply, some translations, every need. Every need. I love these words, by the way. All. Every. Because it indicates nothing will be lacking. Every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. By the way, just a reminder, Paul wrote this from jail. Okay? This is the letter that has more reference to joy than any of his letters. In fact, than any of the letters in the New Testament. From jail. From jail. Trusting God, knowing that God will supply our need. Seek these things first. That's what the Lord said. Seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be afforded to you, will be given to you, will be offered to you. Prioritize. That's what the Lord is saying. First, me. I come first in your life. And in all things will be given to you. And that's my hope and my prayer. As a church, we keep reminding ourselves of this truth. And we keep also reminding others around us that the Lord is going to bring to your path in the midst of these difficult times to just share hope with them. I assure you there will be more people today that are willing to hear the gospel from you. More people that are willing to even accept a Bible from you. Now, I don't have to really watch what's going to happen after this. Maybe God wanted this to be the first step in their salvation. Maybe this is in the midst of a journey that they're going through. Or it could be this is the final step that they just needed someone to help them get there. Who knows? My job is to do my part and trust that the Lord will do His. Another principle that we have to remind ourselves of in the midst of something difficult like this is that we should not stop thinking of the needs of others in giving also. Whether giving to the church, giving through the church, giving to a charity, giving to someone who needs food, or whatever it might be. Just because we're dealing with something like this doesn't mean everything stops now. No. That's also another powerful evidence to those around us 
that I'm not even concerned. You know why? Because the Lord is supplying my needs, every need, and I'm able to give also to those who need. And I am now the conduit to provide and supply their needs because the Lord is using me, however that might be. I say this because sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to take a vacation and I'm not going to be giving tithing now or giving to this cause or that cause or I'm not going to go to the food bank anymore or I'm not going to feed the homeless anymore. We're going to take like a two-month vacation now. Oh, what's going to happen to those people then that they have need? You think they're going to have a two-week or two-month vacation from eating also now? Are they going to survive? No, we have to actually show up in a stronger manner this time and bring even more people with us. Why? Because we want them to see that, you know what, we are not like the rest of the world. We're not afraid. We're not worried. Now, you may say, well, this is not, not allowed right now. That's fine. But now that they're easing things back to normal, now is the time to start to find ministries that need that kind of help. We can now begin to mobilize towards causes like this. We have to always be on the look for those needs, those opportunities to bring people to Christ. And this is another thing that we have to remind ourselves of. In 1 John 3.17, we read, the Apostle John wrote, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Of course, 1 John is written in a context of brotherly, basically, relationship to the church. We ought to help one another in one body. How much so that we ought to help those that do not even know him? So we have to keep these principles in sight. Another thing, I know, unfortunately, one of the downsides of this virus is the idea that we become more immune to the principle of isolation. We feel that we ought to isolate ourselves. That's fine. You know what? You can isolate yourself physically. That's no problem at all. But the Lord has provided us with so much means and technologies today to reach people via text, WhatsApp, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. Can I go on? There are so many apps that I don't even have any app to keep up with them. Okay? I mean, I discovered so many things in the last two months that I didn't even know that they existed. I mean, one of the things that I love to do is media, but I do it four times a year. Usually I have to go to the studios and I have to spend a week over there and I stay for 10 hours daily and I do up to 40 to 50 videos. By the time the week is over, you're done. And then I realize there is something called StreamYard. Oh, okay, what is that? Oh, you're sitting at home drinking coffee and you hear the kids and you are going live and people are actually following you and watching you. What do you think I do almost every other day now? One hour of StreamYard. And I finish and I'm going to the next room. Hey kids, let's go and eat. I'm not traveling, I don't have to worry about the travel. It's doable, there is a lot of stuff out there. So stay in touch with people Sometimes people just may need a quotation from the Bible, texted it to them. You know, I used to tell people about Skype, and you know, some people knew about it or not. Then Zoom came in about a year and a half ago for me. I'm like, wow, this is a fabulous tool. So I tell people who'd like to Skype or Zoom, and they look at me like, which planet do you live on? What is this? Now, it's part of the vocabulary. They give you five choices. Would you like to Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, WhatsApp video, and who knows what else? It's an amazing way. I do my Bible study now using Zoom. I do a couple of sermons at least every other week on Sundays using Zoom. It's amazing what God has given us. Let's use it also to see others. Yeah, maybe we're physically separated, but we can still communicate word of encouragement, 
disciple and support. You think this is biblical? Absolutely. Just read the letters of Paul. I'll give you one example. In Romans 1 verses 8 to 11, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now this is hyperbole, no doubt, but he received news that their faith is really in application. A lot of people are impacted by it. Now, Paul didn't have Zoom at that time or text messaging. He did receive the message back. And he also told them, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my, uh, with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed in coming to you. See? He was writing to them. He was telling them about his desire to come and see them. Later on in chapter 15, he tells them that he is coming from Macedonia, going all the way to Jerusalem to give some of the donations by the Gentiles to the church in Jerusalem. And that when he's done, he's going to pass by, he says, because it's his desire, his ambition to go to Spain. Why? To preach Christ where Christ has not been preached. But he was communicating that in writing. You think you can communicate it today? You know, I have to really, um, uh, you know, remind myself of these facts. Like on a weekly basis, by the time it is 10 o'clock, I've already talked to people in Egypt, in Saudi, in Kuwait, in Bahrain, and sometimes in Spain, sometimes in Europe, in Belgium, in Sweden. And I'm sitting at home, actually. Some of these places I've never been to yet. And yet I'm communicating with people in real time. We have a lot that God has given us. So let us not use this COVID-19 as an excuse to stay isolated. Isolation is not good. You know who wins when you're isolated? Satan. He messes with your head. He wants you to have fear. He wants you to be separated from the body of Christ. That's what he wants you to do. Think about, you know, just in real physical sense, when someone actually is, let's say, fell ill and was separated from people for one month, two months, three months, you really have to be rehabilitated after that. You have to get slowly and gradually into the rhythm of doing things that are normal. I laughed at myself about two weeks ago because I drove my car for the first time. I couldn't remember that I have to push a button to start the car. <laughs> I'm like, how do I start it now? I need to remember. I was laughing at myself. I was like, wow. I mean, I can't even remember how to start my own car just because I sat home for a while. But that's how the brain works. You think Satan is not going to capitalize on things like this? I mean, here's how he's going to come at you. He's going to say, why do you want to go to church? So what that they open? You're going to get sick. Don't go. Right? Why do you want to text so-and-so? I'm going to tell you something that's going to get your mind busy, wondering what does it mean? What are they talking about me? What are they talking to me? I mean, you're going to just bother your mind. Just relax. Relax. That's how Satan works sometimes. He just wants you to be isolated. Why? Because he doesn't want you to be fed. He doesn't want you to get stronger. He doesn't want you to stand up back on your feet as a whole body. He wants the body to be isolated, separated. Don't let Satan win. He is the real winner. Be at church. That's another principle. I love what my pastor kept reminding the church online. The building might be closed, but the church is never closed. The church is never closed. It's not about a building. It's not about a brick and mortar. It's about the body of Christ. I mean, maybe we got it wrong just because we live in an area that have freedom to build churches and put your name on the church and declare which denomination even you follow and go and share the gospel at Starbucks and other places and hand Bibles. Just go to the Middle East and try it and see what happens. Go to where I came from 
and try even to mention the name of Jesus publicly in a Starbucks and someone hears you and they don't like your conversation because the church is the body people meeting where two or three of you are gathered I will be in the midst of you that's the church so be the church make sure that you are available all the time make sure that you are sharing the love of Christ for those who need it make sure you don't stop evangelizing that's the mission of the church is to evangelize for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that's the church yeah. now how do you do this be creative Maybe you can use Zoom, WhatsApp, and text messaging all at the same time. Do it. Power to you. Maybe you should invent a new app. I don't know. But be the church. Share. You know, the Lord, <coughs> I love the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord will be walking, and it says that there's a, multitudes are following him. You see, he is the beginning of this idea of follow, okay? There's a lot of followers, all right? But he didn't have that many friends, okay? He did not have that many friends. Only few became his friends. But then it says that his reputation was spreading all over. Why? Because people are sharing, right? They follow, they share. And some people block him. They don't want anything to do with him. It's really the principle is right there. You can do it. Share the gospel. Preach it to the masses. And then... Some will like it, some will not. Some will share it, some will not. Some will block you, that's fine. Folks, uh, I don't wanna exaggerate, but sitting at my desk at home, by the time I finish my live stream, it tells me that there is anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 who viewed it already, in one hour sometimes. It depends what the topic is. Now imagine, if these people began to share it with others. I'm just sitting at home, actually. And I kept wondering, it's like, did the Lord ever do anything like this? Because I just want to make sure it's biblical. And yes, just do multitudes, search for that and see how many followed him. I preached from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, last week. And it says towards the end. In fact, read from John 52 all the way to the end of the chapter verse 71 you'll see that some people left him they didn't like what he says and then it says some of his disciples too walked away from him we're not talking the 12 here then he turned to the 12 and says what about you are you gonna walk away also you see you have followers but you're only gonna have few friends the Lord didn't care about the numbers. He cared about the quality of the faith of those that will follow him. Who shared the gospel after he ascended? The few. The twelve. You and I are the product of this. Two thousand years later. In fact, I'm going to impress you right now and show you that it's not only just the twelve. It's more than that. But let's keep going here make sure my time is not over in John 13 35 the Lord says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another by this the world will know that you are my disciples this is why being the church is extremely important for those who are churchless for those who are non-believers to see a body rallying together, getting together. Nourishment is being offered to them through the Word of God, being fed, being nourished, being grow, uh, growing basically in faith, but at the same time sharing the compassion of our Lord with those that needs it. That's the church. That's what is expected of us. In Colossians 3, 12-17, I love what the Word of God says, Put on then, ye gods chosen as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, have to forgive others as you were forgiven, that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and the list can go on and on and on. These are the kind of traits and attributes and characteristics that others are to see in you. Even young believers have to witness this in you because you are feeding them. You are helping them grow. They need to learn as babes in Christ how to behave as believers. So you're not only impacting worldly people, you're impacting even members of the church because not everyone is at the same level. Not everyone is at the same level of maturity and growth. So we have to be those catalysts to help them grow. Be the church. Now what about you know the opportunity for evangelism? I mentioned already that the 12 were a factor in sharing the gospel. But if you go to the book of Acts, by the way, you're going to see that the 12 actually were kicking back and relaxing from chapter 1 until the beginning of chapter 8. They missed the call. Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And they're like, yeah, we love Jerusalem. It's comfort zone, right, you know? We know the people here. And I love how chapter 8 starts. And the Lord brought persecution upon the church. You see, if you're not going to move, he will scatter you. And he knows how to do it. He will just do this and you'll scatter immediately. And then in verse 4 it says, And those who were scattered began to share the gospel. See, sometimes we need a 2 by 4 to be able to realize that we have missed the call and we need to wake up. That's what happened. You get scattered, you become hopeless, you become concerned, and then you remember, all I have to do now is just to keep sharing about my Lord. The more you share, the more we'll join the body, and all of a sudden you find yourself from isolated members to bigger family now in Christ. It's an amazing way how the church and the body works. But let me, these are the 12 at least. We know them. We know some of their names. But look what it says in Acts 11, verses 19 to 21. It says, Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one but Jews. That's at the beginning. But the call was to everybody. Verse 20. But there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene among them who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch their names? Let me repeat their names. Some men. First name some, last name men. Did you catch their name? Some men means any of you. Any of you in here, not just men, any of you in here can do the exact same thing. In fact, in Antioch, we were first called Christians, followers of Christ. It was just some men who believed the truth of the gospel, who had compassion to the Gentiles, who recognized that Jesus was for all, and went and began to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. These some men were even before Paul made it there. Because later the church sent Paul and Barnabas to go and investigate. And he spent a year over there teaching and training. Any of us can get stuck. Any of us. Let me close by reminding us of prayer. The importance of prayer. The best thing you can do in times like this is prayer. I tell people, you know what? When it all fails, start praying. It's okay. God will raise others to do what you feel like you're not willing to do, afraid of doing. Maybe you think you're not equipped to do. That's fine. Stop praying. Better yet, have others to pray with you and form a prayer uh, group. You can do it. And now you can do it over Zoom, over FaceTime, over text message, whatever the mean might be. Start a prayer. We need to pray for healing for the sick. James 5, 14 to 15, for instance, talks about this. We need to pray for strength for those 
who are not sick, actually, as 3 John, uh, it's one chapter, 3 John, in verse 2 to 4, it says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So he was basically rejoicing and praying for their growth, for their health also to continue. You need to pray for provisions. God will supply all your need, every need in Christ Jesus. You need to pray for a spirit of peace that will come over the world. Oh boy, do we need it. The last 10 days are just indicative of this need. Do we need it? A spirit of peace. Yes. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. If you're counting on the world to give you peace, I'll be praying hard for you. Because you ain't going to get it. Only Christ will give you that peace that surpasses all understanding. Only in Christ that we will materialize that concept of peace. We need to pray for wisdom, by the way, for our authority. I mean, I, I do not like to turn the TV on on news anymore. It's nothing but uh, kindergartners fighting all the time. Is there an adult in the house, sometimes I say? Someone to bring peace and calmness to this whole situation. Everybody's arguing with everybody. No matter what you say, you're always wrong because somebody doesn't like it. We need to pray for authority. It's biblical. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, salvation is tied to that as well. We ought to consider praying all the time for our leaders because they need it. Pray in unity with other believers. Remember to pray with others as well. Not just for others, but with others. And pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 19 teaches this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In all circumstances. You ought to be thankful for everything. You need to put your hope and trust in God. You need to realize that God has a plan for you. He is not oblivious of what's going on in our life. So we need to trust Him, as Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Lean, not on your own understanding, but in all, notice, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. I grew up all of my life praying for the straight path and find Jesus. And now I found it. It's really straight as an arrow. I'm the one who keeps deviating from it. So I need the guidance of God. No wonder he says, put my yoke upon you. So I can drag you behind me because it seemed like you have the tendency to keep going left and right. We have to always remind ourselves that in him, we will walk that path. Be not wise in your own eyes, the scripture says. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Verse 9 in the same passage in Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Trusting, trusting that God is going to fill our barn, to fill our pantry, to fill our hearts with joy. And the list can go on and on and on. And I just want to remind us of Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. 
And if you think the Bible doesn't teach that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, guess what? There is a light at the end of the tunnel. In Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this is what I wanted to leave you with. I wanted just to make the message today simple. I didn't want to get into... Uh, you know, a deeper stuff. I wanted just to look at what the Bible tells us in terms of principles to how we can handle situations like this. My hope is like, remember all of them. You can apply all of them. Or maybe even at least if you can walk out of here with one or two that you can recall, I think I've accomplished the mission. All we have to do is remember there are people out there that need peace, hope, and truth. And there are people within the body that needs the same thing, peace and growth as well. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Can we all stand, please? <laughs> I have the privilege of sometimes meeting with Al Fadi for coffee and breakfast, and there we solve all the problems of the world. And then by the time we're done, it's all messed up again. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, shall we pray, please? Father, we give thanks for your servant, Al Fadi, for the work that you've done in his life showing us how love conquers all. The love of your son through the love of Christians who loved him and brought him to the knowledge of the Savior. And we thank you, Father, for the, the work that he does. We pray for him that you would bless the work of his hands. Your word tells us that we did not choose you, but you chose us and you ordained that we should go forth and bear much fruit that in this your Father is glorified and that we bear much fruit. So Father, since you have chosen Alphadi, cause there to be much, much fruit come from his life. We ask, Lord God, for also the, the touch of the Savior upon our, our Muslim friends. Open the eyes of their understanding. Draw them with your cords of love. Bring them to repentance, Lord. May we rejoice, Lord, in calling them our brothers and sisters in Christ. This we pray in the beautiful and wonderful and precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.